It's time for another episode of Hamburgers and Hot Rods, the podcast featuring Southern California's classic car culture and its food scene. The show starts now. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Hamburgers and Hot Rods podcast. I'm your co-host, Sabrina Karras. Please also welcome our other co-host, Jim Karras. Hello, everybody. We are so excited to welcome each of you to this special edition of the podcast. Episode 21 is our first anniversary episode. The plan for this show is for Jim and I to simply have a discussion about the past year of the podcast. I'm happy to join Sabrina in our 21st episode. Can't believe we're actually here. What do you think about that, Sabrina? I think it's awesome. I can't believe we've come this far in such a short amount of time. 20 episodes are in the can. Hopefully what we can do in just a little bit is talk about some of those episodes and kind of our thoughts on them and some of the behind the scenes things that helped us put those together and uh, look back at some of the trials and tribulations of putting out content for over 12 months. Yeah, definitely. It's been quite a ride. So let me ask you, Jim, why a podcast? You know, I don't know why I decided that this was something I wanted to spend our time on and I approached you about it. But, you know, really, I think it comes down to my brother started a channel on YouTube and he was streaming content. It was an interactive channel. He had a group of four or five other YouTubers that he regularly co-hosted episodes with. And I thought it was really kind of a cool thing. And for me, I thought, you know, I don't know that I want to do the full video streaming and all of that is tied up with YouTube. But I really liked the idea of putting some content together and putting it out. And so when I broached the subject with you, it didn't take us very long before the conversation turned to classic cars and food. And because I didn't think I wanted to put that much time and energy into doing a full video version of that for a host of reasons, I thought, wow, this new emerging idea of audio vocal podcasts seems to be catching on. Maybe that's where I should focus. And so that's where it started and for me, why this happened. So we started putting together the podcast and we learned a lot along the way and we'll get to that later. But Getting the podcast produced and on the air and distributed to the public as a whole was a pretty complex process. And um, Jim, why don't you talk about that and how we've grown? Well, the first thing we had to do was find a host provider that actually would host the sound files for each show. After a little bit of research, we settled on uh, Anchor FM, Anchor.fm, and that is who our main distributor is for the show. They distribute it to other podcast distributors and, and uh, outlets, and then we went through and applied with all the major podcast distributors. So we're now at 15, and uh, you know some of the big ones are Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and now more recently we added Amazon, Amazon Music and Audible, both owned by Amazon. We uh, added those to our distribution channels along with some really um, well-known and established distributors and media companies including iHeartMedia, Radio.com. We're also on TuneIn, Spotify, and Pandora. And so, yeah, we really have done a pretty good job of getting this little podcast out and available to really all of the 
major podcast distributors. Wherever you like to listen to your audio podcast, chances are you're going to find our show there. But there is a whole second layer to this that's really because of you. Do you want to share about how we ended up on YouTube and then eventually Facebook with the video side of it all? When you started with the podcasts and we decided on the classic cars and the food scenes, I had this idea in my head that we had to have some sort of visual component that went along with it because a lot of the stories we were telling had, you know, accompanying media. And I thought, why not put together some sort of video presentation or something like that? And that's kind of how the whole Facebook and YouTube came into the scene. And that was kind of just a way for us to add another component another venue to this podcast and kind of get it out in a different way and honestly that's the part that I've enjoyed the most is putting together the video presentations that we do. Well I came to you early on because one of the first things I realized was that we needed cover art for when the um, show posts when each show posts all the distributors want accompanying cover art and so that meant we had to develop that which I hadn't even thought of at the time So that meant a logo and some uniformity to the cover art. So that meant colors and a theme. And you you just stepped right up and and handled all of that. And one day you said, hey, what do you think of this? And what we have today is really what you developed. And I was blown away at, at how great it looked. It captured everything. It had a retro look to it. I really appreciated that. And we went with it. And that became the theme for the website. We decided that it would be good to have a web presence, and so we built the website. And then later on, when you went full throttle into the idea of having a video component, then I went to work on establishing the YouTube channel and the Facebook page. And it it was a way for us to reach several sections of our audience, you know, related to the classic cars and the many clubs that we belong to. A lot of them are on Facebook. And I never thought that Facebook would be a major role in this. And it turns out Facebook is one of the huge components of our overall following. It, It really is a big segment of listeners are listening and watching on Facebook. YouTube is, from a uh, video standpoint, trails behind Facebook in the number of uh, views we get. And that's simply, I think, because on YouTube, there's so much content daily coming, we're lost in the sea. But it's there and available, and it's a great way for us to get the word out, is to refer to the YouTube. So it's good that we have them on both. Yeah, and and I have to say, having the social media accounts and distribution has really helped our tiny little podcast grow. It's kind of fun. Once we started, we started getting into our first episode, which let's talk about now, our first episode. We tried to tie in how the car culture and the food scene came together. And we thought the first thing to hit our idea was uh, drive-in restaurants. That's how it started. And we did our first episode, which focused on A&W, which was California's first drive-in. They started in uh, 1919, and drive-ins sort of took off right after that. How did you feel our first episode went? You know, it was all new. I, I go back and listen to that show, and I cringe because, you know, I nitpick all of the, the things I didn't know when we put that show together. You know, I was new with the whole sound engineering and, and all the technology that we used. I was so 
intrigued with the content. I've been a fan of A&W my entire life. I, I had vivid memories, which I shared a little bit in that episode. I don't do that often, but I did in that episode. And, uh, you know, A&W, there's nothing like a cold draft root beer on a warm summer day in Southern California to really uh, make you feel like this is paradise. And so I was really uneducated as to the whole drive-in connection to the greater Southern California area, specifically Los Angeles and San Diego. There was also, you know, a whole culture in the San Francisco area, you know, after the turn of the century, pre-World War II. And it was a huge part of the whole culture here when the auto industry was emerging. And, you know, eating is a very integral part of daily life uh, for everyone. And, and so it didn't take long when the cars became popular for in-car dining to come along and the drive-in model really played to how front and center automobiles were starting to become part of our psyche collectively as a society here. And so that was a, a something that while I was familiar with it in the late 60s and 70s, I really didn't understand how it emerged and started. And through the A&W episode, we realized we had a bigger story to tell than just A&W. Yeah, when I was researching for the episode, what fascinated me was how quickly drive-in restaurants became popular. You know, as more people had access to vehicles and more people were getting out on the road, it became obvious that uh, drive-in restaurants were the wave of the future. And so that first episode kind of triggered what we deemed our first five-part feature series. And we did it on Southern California drive-in restaurants in and around Southern California, Los Angeles area. And Jim and I both have fond memories of what we featured in episode two, which was Bob's Big Boy. Unfortunately, by the time I came along, they had stopped doing the drive-in, but uh, Bob's Big Boy was pretty well-known here in the Southern California area, and there's a lot of people that still look back on that with a lot of nostalgia. And it just snowballed into this research rabbit hole of all of the drive-ins that were here in Southern California. There was thousands of them at the, uh, the peak in the 20s, 30s, and 40s. And after the Bob's Big Boy episode, I found a uh, really cool drive-in called Carpenter Sandwiches, and that was pretty fascinating. And when I was doing the video component for that, I found tons of gorgeous black and white pictures of all of these early drive-ins that just dotted the Southern California landscape. And so we delved into Carpenter Sandwiches on episode three, and then Jim really got into doing the research for our fourth episode, which was the Flashlights for Service. Jim, why don't you talk about some of those drive-ins? Well, what was really fascinating was how it really started in the early 20s. I believe 1922 is when L.A. started to see the drive-in concept come to life here in Southern California. We had a couple of different early operators start service, and we talked about those operators. And, you know, from Tam O'Shanter throwing their hat in the ring in 1922, you know, it was just, it was incredible. Vandy Camps, we saw the industry lifespan rotate a few times during the heyday from the 20s to the 50s before long. It was Stan's drive-ins and Simon's drive-ins took over Carpenter's sandwiches, which was one of the first ones. I think Carpenter's at their peak was up to 12 locations, which blew me away because I had not heard of them until we did this research. I was kind of aware of Stan's and Simon's, but I didn't realize Carpenter's. 
And so uh, the pig stand was another early one. The pig stand started in L.A., I believe it was like 1931, somewhere in there. They started the first drive through which was another interesting tidbit that we learned. And, you know, there were plenty of others. Independent locations, several with three and four locations, Dolores drive-ins, and then that family continued on with their family restaurants into the 80s, actually. I believe the last Dolores restaurant might have went until the early 2000s. But it was really uh, a unique concept that took off. And uh, so it was fun exploring how that progressed. The menu changes. You know, it started with food that was easy to eat in the car. But some of the early offerings really were quite complex. I mean, with pastas and, you know, a lot of other full menu items for dinner. And then the other interesting thing that I just was blown away by, to be honest, was the in-car consumption of alcohol while you dined at a drive-in was permissible in the city of Los Angeles and surrounding areas beginning in the mid-1930s after the end of Prohibition. And, you know, I was never aware of that. So that was another thing that I learned. It was a lot of fun to go through flashlights for service because those were a lot of independent operators, too. And there were in L.A. City, I think there were over 200 to give you an example of the sheer popularity of this concept. We learned a lot about Art LeBeau and how he um, did his radio show, you know, AM radio in those years was king. And, uh, you know, he did a top 40 type show. He hosted it at uh, Scrivener's Drive-In. Yes. And so we learned all about that. And then it progressed to more modern drive-ins. Yeah. And then we finished up our five-part series with Sonic Drive-Ins, which has a presence here in Southern California, but they started in Oklahoma. And, you know, they are actually one of the few drive-ins still operating today. And we've actually taken some uh, cruises with our car clubs and ended up at Sonic Drive-In and got to experience the last of the car hop service that they offer. And then after we completed that series, it was time to, you know, the show is hamburgers and hot rods. So we figured we covered hamburgers pretty good. It was time to start talking about cars. And I also was really interested in trying to bring on some guests. So it wasn't just always my voice narrating and the ability to interact with folks really was something we wanted to do early on. We talked about doing some remote shows, which I still hope that we get to do. And then, so we decided that we wanted to do some guests. And uh, so the first one was an old buddy of mine that I first met in my high school years in the mid-70s. And he's since moved to Texas. And But he lived in the Whittier area. And he's a couple years older than I am and had a little bit more experience on Whittier Boulevard earlier than I did. I certainly had my few years cruising the boulevard in my high school days and just out of high school. But he preceded that. So it was really an interesting story for me to kind of hear some of his early memories that honestly, as a 16 and 17 year old, I didn't have the depth of character, I guess, to even inquire about at that age. So it was really a treat for me to hear about that and just reminisce with him about, uh, you know, cruising the boulevard. And so we did a full show, not only on Whittier Boulevard, but a little more broadly about car cruising in Southern California from really the early days to uh, even into the 2000s. And we covered a few spots in Southern California that were popular. And then Steve Sharp, who was our guest, he was our first guest on the podcast, joined us to talk specifically about cruising on Whittier Boulevard in the 70s in East Whittier area. 
Yeah, that's part of the culture that I actually missed out on that I think would have been really fun for me to participate in as a teenager. And cruising was so popular. Its heyday was in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And I just missed it by that much. But sure sounds like fun getting together on the corners, driving up and down in your hot rods and and having some fun with people your own age and getting out there and not getting into too much trouble, and then capping it off with some fast food late at night sounded like a lot of fun. You know, we learned a lot in that first interview, the whole approach to interviewing, especially a remote interview from, you know, out of state. I hadn't given it a whole lot of thought on how to approach it. And so that was definitely a learning point for me in how to better conduct those interviews. And we changed up the technology use and approached it a little differently for our next guest. But at that point, we were getting ready to gear up to do a uh, five-part series on drive-through restaurant service. We wanted to carry on with the whole concept of automobile crossroads of the car culture and the progression of food service and how it adapted and changed from the drive-in model to the drive-through. But COVID-19 hit. And so we did a show announcement on this, which we explained. We basically decided that we were not going to kick off the drive-through series at that point. It just didn't seem to be timely. So we throttled back. We actually went on hiatus for two months, I believe it was. And we ended up coming back to the whole subject of car hop service, which was certainly not in the plan because of what was happening in the early days of COVID. Right. So for our seventh episode, we did a special episode because in order to keep serving guests, restaurants around the Southern California area really had to adapt and change. And some of the classic diners brought back car hop service. So that was kind of fun. So in the midst of a pandemic, there was a lot of innovation and a lot of creativity by some restaurateurs in this area that allowed for something nostalgic to come back and flourish in such a a weird time. Yeah, it really was very interesting. We did the first one we saw, I believe, was Mel's Diner. Right, Mel's Drive-In. And then Bob's Big Boy announced they were going to launch car hop service in a few locations. Bob's Big Boy Northridge launched car hop service, and it made sense because they had done a show and shine on Friday nights pre-pandemic for many, many years. So the car culture certainly knew them. They were popular with families. Bob's Big Boy Burbank, one of the long-standing locations, not the original, but one of the long-standing locations in Burbank's great location. We'd been there. They also brought back car hop service. They expanded their hours of operation and the days of week that they offered car hop service. And so it was a way for them to keep operating, to keep their staff engaged and provide for their staff as well as their community. And then several others also embraced it. One independent operator up in the Santa Clarita Valley that was a 50 steam restaurant had never done car hop service, got into the game, and they launched car hop. Yeah, that was uh, Route 66 Classic Grill. Yes. And they're in uh, Cannon Country. Yeah, and so it was uh, It was really a lot of fun to cover all of that. It was a shorter episode. It was basically our attempt at trying to cover the current events. Again, we were kind of caught off guard because our whole content and our focus for content development was really centered around the drive-through series that we had really had a lot of it well underway. But we just didn't feel right about rolling that out at that particular point. Although it is interesting in looking back on it, the drive through saved a lot of those businesses. 
Then we uh, shifted gears and uh, we rolled out a few episodes on car clubs. Talk about some of those episodes, Sabrina. Right. So personally, Jim and I are members of quite a few car clubs that have local regions that are part of a national car club. And one of the ones that we're really active in is the Vintage Chevrolet Club of America. And they have several regions here in the Southern California area. And a lot of those regions will put on car shows and have events and stuff like that. So the first one we focused on was the San Fernando Valley region of the VCCA because uh, they have a huge car show once a year in November at Community Chevrolet in Burbank. So we wanted to showcase how local people here in the Southern California area can get involved in different car shows and car events. And we had our second guest, Steve Rosenberg, with us, and he's a lot of fun to interview. He's got a great personality, and he's just made for radio, as they say. And also, one of the other car clubs we focused on was the Antique Automobile Club of America. And they're a worldwide global organization, and they've been in existence since the 30s. And they have a a local region here in the Orange County area. And the Orange County region hosts a car show every year in July. And that car show is very unique in the car club hobby because it is strictly for original and restored to original vehicles, which is something you don't really see a whole lot of because most of the car club hobby is uh, modified or hot rods or, you know, fun as uh, our guests put it, go fast cars. So we established this car show as a venue for people with stock cars to come and display and, you know, really get active and involved in showing the public such an underrepresented population in the car club hobby. So that was a lot of fun. And our guest was Mike Sherman, and he is very active in the Orange County region of the AACA. And he and Jim Karras, my husband, is the co-founder of the All-American Originals Car Show that is now in its 10th year of production. And so we had a lot of fun focusing on that for that episode. And then we finished up that three-part series with another chapter of the Vintage Chevy Club, and that's the Personalized Chevy chapter. And that chapter is for members of the VCCA that have modified cars to showcase their vehicles and its members uh, get together for car shows and they have a very specific judging process that they go through. And that really is an avenue for people in the Chevy club to showcase their uh, modified personalized cars. And that's where a lot of the hot rod versions of the Chevys have found a home. Yeah, one of the interesting things about the uh, personalized Chevrolet chapter of the Vintage Chevrolet Club of America, PCC, is that it's considered a non-geographical club. What that means is, is typically the VCCA local clubs are referred to as regions, and they are defined by a geographic location. For instance, the Orange County region of the VCCA is covering the members that reside in Orange County. The San Fernando Valley region is the San Fernando Valley, etc. A non-geographic chapter, such as the PCC, is designed to cover a broad spectrum of members across the country and around the world that have a common interest in a particular aspect of the Chevrolet Club. For instance, the personalized Chevrolets. And so their current club director, or their what other clubs may call a president, their current club director hails from New Jersey. 
Jersey. And Ron Marciano currently serves as their director and has for a few years. He also is involved in traditional VCCA regions. And uh, Ron has a really nice modified 1957 Chevrolet Bel Air and uh, is very active in the area where he lives. But he coordinates activities for the personalized chapter all over the country. And uh, that's how we've gotten to know Ron. We Both Sprint and I are members of the PCC. We don't have any uh, modified cars presently, but I was on the board when it got started and I wanted to help them uh, get established. And so we joined as charter members of that local group and uh, helped them get a few members. And I've also served as a judge for PCC. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. So uh, anyway, that was our uh, show on uh, part of the three series that we did for local car clubs so far. Hopefully we'll come back to that. But it was really interesting to see the contrasting of the various clubs from both AACA and the Venice Chevrolet Club to uh, get to know the groups that were guests. And uh, it's really been neat. And I hope we have more car clubs featured on the show. Yeah, I think once we start fleshing out our plans for 2021, which we're going to talk about later, we're definitely going to include a lot more car clubs in the SoCal area so we can, you know, get to know people in the hobby here in our local area, which would be great. And then after our three-part series on car clubs, we segued straight into our five-part series on drive-through services in Southern California. As Jim had mentioned, we had wanted to do that before the whole pandemic started, but after a while, starting in June, we decided, you know, the drive-through industry has really sustained a lot of restaurants here in the California area and across the country nationwide because they're one of the few restaurants still open and available to serve on a continual basis. They've been deemed essential. So we wanted to get some of the uh, California born and bred drive-through services here and get some local legends out into the um, podcast sphere. And the first one we started out with was In-N-Out Burgers, of course. Them being California's first drive-through hamburger stand, they really uh, set the mark back in um, 1948. So once the speaker technology progressed and In-N-Out was on the forefront of that technology. Having a faster experience of eating in your car was the next phase of the car and food mashup, if you will. Yeah, and then Jack in the Box came on the scene in 1951, just shortly after In-N-Out. They originated out of San Diego. And the owner of uh, the first incarnation of Jack in the Box really was also in the drive-in business. So he did a true transition from drive-ins. He had several drive-ins around the San Diego area, as well as a family restaurant. He went ahead and came up with the concept of really a drive-through focused concept. They did have walk-up service in, in some of the early restaurants, but really it was focused on serving customers through the drive through window. And like In-N-Out, they focused on a menu that originally was much more modest than it is today. But they did offer tacos from the very beginning, and they did have more fried foods from the very beginning. And so it was a contrast to In-N-Out. And it eventually did come to the greater Los Angeles area and Orange County, and then as California grew throughout to the Inland Empire. So Jack in the Box is a local company that eventually went public, and we covered that story. And that was a lot of fun and very interesting to learn about the progression of that corporation and some of their trials and tribulations along the way from the early 50s to today. Yeah, and then we featured a Inland Empire phenomenon with 
Baker's Drive-Thru, and they had an interesting start because the gentleman who originally founded them started out in the brick business, building uh, restaurants for other people in the Inland Empire. And in episode 13, we talk about the evolution of how a modest brick maker turned into a multi-location burger and taco stand, one of the first ones to introduce the uh, dual concept of tacos and burgers. So they were a pioneer, and they have since expanded into a larger geographic area, primarily still in the Inland Empire, but let me tell you, they have some tasty food. Well, Neil Baker was their founder. He's since passed. The family continues to run the organization. It's still family-owned. But Neil was definitely instrumental in hiring some of the industry pioneers that went on to establish well-known Mexican fast food chains. And that was interesting to see those connections and how small the world really is, including tie-ins to Del Taco, Noggles, and Schnitzel, the hot dog chain. And common through all of this, which we did not cover, was Glenn Bell and his Taco Bell empire and his interactions with Neil Baker and Baker's, Schnitzel, and also uh, Del Taco, which again is another restaurant chain we did not focus on. But it was interesting to see the connections, and that was enjoyable. And we actually touched on that in the episodes from Baker's going forward. Which uh, brought us to our 14th episode, which featured Schnitzel, another Southern California legend here in the drive-through industry. And that started out as a tiny little hot dog stand that was founded by John Gallardi uh, back in the 60s, and they served hot dogs for 15 cents a piece. Can't beat that. And of course, their famous chili, which is one of my favorites. I can't tell you how much I love a Wiener Schnitzel chili cheese dog. And then finally, uh, we ended that series with a Mexican fast food chain that also served American food, hamburgers, and uh, such. Noggles, a 1970s chain that uh, originated out in Riverside, California. Dick Noggle was the man that founded the company. The chain uh, was eventually sold a couple times from the original founder, and it ended up being uh, acquired by common ownership that also had purchased Del Taco. And they folded it into Del Taco in 1995. The Noggles banner was sunsetted and the remaining stores were converted to Del Tacos. And we all thought that was the end of Noggles. And then quite some time later, in 2015, a group of folks decided to bring the nostalgic fast food Mexican-American chain back from the ashes. And Noggles was reborn. And we were honored to have multiple guests which uh, to this point hadn't occurred on the podcast. And uh, practically the entire C-suite of Noggles Corp joined us to tell us all about their return to the marketplace. And uh, what a story. They really have had a uh, very interesting return to uh, the food service industry. They're doing very well. Uh, They've weathered the storm through the pandemic, but it has been challenging as it has been for each of the folks we've covered in the series. And it was very honoring to have them join us for the podcast. That was a great episode. Yeah. So one of the funny things about Noggles is when Jim and I first got together and he would talk about his time in his teens and uh, early 20s, he would always talk about making a Noggles run after a long night of cruising. They were one of the few restaurants at that time open 24 hours a day. So after you're done cruising Whittier Boulevard, you'd head over to Noggles and have some talk tacos, burritos, or a burger. And I think for that episode, 
episode, it really allowed Jim to explore a lot of the nostalgia that he had for a local brand. And having the founders of The Rebirth interviewed in the episode really gave us a chance to explore what they were doing and how you could have something that you thought was dead and gone brought back to life. And we had uh, Josh Maxwell and Christian Zebarth and Frank Farini, who were some of the movers and shakers in that organization. And that was our first episode where we had multiple guests on. So that was kind of a, a banner day for us with our little podcast studio here as we were able to get more than just two people recorded. So that was definitely a learning curve for Jim producing that episode. But it's definitely one of our best episodes to date. And then we shifted gears and, you know, we decided we wanted to focus a little bit more on the car culture. We didn't abandon the hamburger side of this uh, by any means. We did come back and we continue to look at some food purveyors that we want to feature on the show going forward. But at episode 16, we decided it was time to look at other aspects of the car culture and other businesses that support the hobby and the automotive industry industry in general here in Southern California. And we reached out to a gentleman that lives in South Orange County, uh, Dean Marash, and he operates SoCal Classic Car Storage, a facility that is geared towards safeguarding and storing classic cars. But it's more than that. As Dean explained in that episode, they're a full-service firm offering white glove service and a full array of amenities from car purchasing assistance, car detailing, a whole host of value-added services, if you will. And then in addition to the car storage business, Dean Marash and his son Jason co produce a podcast and they focus on the classic car scene here in Southern California and they are really knocking it out of the park with their guests. The caliber of their guests are just incredible. Really getting some great superstars in the automotive enthusiast world, both locally and nationally. And uh, Dean was gracious to come on and share a little bit about not only his classic car storage, but also his podcast and some of the things they have in the future. And it was really a treat to have Dean spend some time with us. And again, another really great episode. And then that brought us to our episode 17, which is kind of a little bit near and dear to our heart. We had our guest John Simmons come on the air and he is the owner of Jass Rods and Customs which is a fabulous restoration and modification shop in Garden Grove, California and a very interesting backstory is John was the lead mechanic on our 59 Apache rebuild. Uh, we did a full frame off restoration and John brought that hunk of junk into a beautiful showpiece and really gave us a foot into the classic car hobby. And John does fabrication, mechanic work, all sorts of custom builds, uh, hot rods, restores to original, just a fabulous job. And we have known him for about 15 years now. And we're really proud of the fact that he opened up his own shop and is serving the needs of Southern California and the Orange County area. And then we moved on and we decided it was time to uh, do a contrast on, we focused on the uh, modified cars a little bit and, you know, original classic cars are near and dear to both Sabrina and my heart. So although Sabrina is probably 
also very much interested in modified cars, as as I am. And uh, we brought on our good friend, John Sherman. John, of course, is the chief judge for our All-American Original show that we talked about in uh, episode nine. But we wanted to tell the other part of his life, which is the uh, part that uh, has to do with his full-time employment at Daniel Schmidt Auto Cars in St. Louis, Missouri. That's where John hails from and resides. And uh, so we heard all about the exotic and classic car market, not only locally to St. Louis, but of course across the country and around the world, as Daniel Schmidt is well known internationally. They um, regularly sell both exotics and high-end classic cars, full array. John is particularly interested in original unrestored cars and has a huge following in that segment. And he shared with us how the industry was dealing with the pandemic conditions, what has changed regarding the auctions and, you know, in-person bidding versus online auctions. And they have an online website at their business, and he explained how that has saved them as well, much like the drive through windows have saved the fast food industry. And uh, it was very interesting. John also is a professional judge and involved with many car clubs, as many people in the hobby are. And he told us a little bit about his experience judging original cars, both there in St. Louis and here in California. And also he spent some time down in Texas and he talked a little bit about selling Rolls Royces in Texas. So that was very fascinating and we enjoyed his time with us. Yeah. So after we had explored some of the car hobby, we decided to end the year on a food note and we focused on episode 19 on original Tommy's world famous hamburgers, which if you live in Southern California, you definitely definitely know what a Tommy burger is. Their chili cheeseburgers are world-renowned, and Jim has some fantastic stories when he was in the EMS industry in his 20s and 30s and how they would always make a Tommy's run. And I always said, oh, no, 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 Tommy's will give you a heart attack, whatever. But he introduced me to Tommy's, and let me tell you, now I beg him to go, which is so funny. Yeah, that was really a lot of fun. We uh, shared the story of that family's progress Progression in the business from 1946 to present and their strategic slow growth. And it was an episode that could have gone with the others, but really Tommy's, although in some locations do drive up service, they're really known for their walk up service. And so that's why we kept them separate, but we did not want to certainly left their story untold here on our podcast. And with the close of the year, we kind of took stock about what we were going to do for 2021. And our very first episode of 2021, episode 20, our 20th episode, which was a milestone for us, we featured another local region of the AACA, the Southern California region. And for that episode, we did have multiple guests as well, and we had members. And we had Bob Pritchard, who was the president of the region, and Joel and Kathy Feldman, Howard and Betty Green, and Dwayne Hinkle join us for that interview. And they talked all about the local region and all of the tours and different events that they have all throughout the year. They are really one of the most active touring regions here in the Southern California area. And they really get out and about with their cars. And they have cars from the teens and 20s all the way up through the 2000s. And they get out and they drive their cars. 
and they go to all sorts of events throughout the year and they have car related and non-car related tours that their members go on and we have been members of that region for about 15 years now and we have enjoyed some really fun times going out and seeing some very unique places in Southern California that we would not have normally seen if not for the car club and it was really great to have their representatives come on and talk about it and share all of the fun things that they do. Yeah, I found it interesting. The local region, the Southern California region, the AACA, was formed in 1955. And some of the members that were in our interview had been there since 61. So they really had a good historical perspective regarding the club. And it was really a treat to hear their stories, to hear about their cars. The other thing is they have a banquet that they do every year. And the guest that they have come address them at their banquet is really something special in and of itself. And to hear some of the stories about the different guests that they've had over the years was also very fascinating to me and really a a very enjoyable hour. So that's 20 episodes that we've done since January 5th of 2020. And we have really had a fun time exploring topics and getting these interviews and guests come on with us and trying to make each episode as fun, as enjoyable as possible. And, you know, we definitely have some favorites. I know I do. I think our first episode was, even though it was rough and definitely full of learning curves, it was a lot of fun to do. So I definitely have a special place in my heart for our first episode. And that first video presentation that I put together, you know, really is something special for me. And then my other favorite episode, I think, is the one where we had Jazz Rods and Customs because we had that personal connection with our guests, John and... And it was really that restoration of our truck that got us into the classic car hobby back in 2005. And if it hadn't been for that restoration, I don't think we'd be as involved or have gotten this far in the hobby as we have. And it definitely would not have led to this podcast. So that's one of my favorite episodes. Jim, what are your favorite episodes? Well, I have to agree. Jazz Rods and Customs definitely was near and dear to my heart. But the other one that I really enjoyed was the Cruise in the Boulevard, Episode 6 with Steve Sharp, Um, for lots of reasons. One is I've known Steve for many, many years. It was really good spending some time looking back in the day and and, uh, indulging some memories. But also, because it was the first guest interview, it was challenging. And to see it finally get completed, and, you know, when you listen to that episode compared to some of the later interviews, you could definitely see the curve in learning on my part. But it still was a good episode. It was easy to listen to. And uh, I really enjoyed doing that episode. And that episode was also unique in that we did both a narrative storytelling and the interview. And it all tied together. So those are my two. But, you know, John Simmons is just a great guy. And I was so glad we were able to have him join us. So that, for me personally, to be able to brag a little bit about the 59 Chevy Apache project was also, you know, a little rewarding for me personally. And so uh, I really enjoyed those two episodes a lot. So let's talk a little bit about how we select the topics for each episode because that's challenging in and of itself. And the problem is there's so many topics to choose from when you're dealing with the classic car hobby and the food scene that goes with it. So what are some of the factors you use to help select topics for our next episodes? 
Well, you know, it, it is collaborative. We both will spitball things. But yeah, I usually have an idea of where I want to go. Sometimes, for various reasons, it does not pan out in the order that I originally think it might. For example, the Tommy's episode was one I wanted to do earlier on in the podcast, but I realized it just was better to hold back. And so you have those push-pull ideas. But then also other aspects, it doesn't pan out because either a guest isn't available or, you know, the topic is just a little too esoteric. By the time you actually map it out, you realize maybe we need to, you know, work on it. So some of it has to do with time constraints, availability of guests, timeliness of the topic. And it really is a little bit of a blend of art, science, and luck. But we try to look at topics that are integral to the automotive scene, life in California, and how it intertwines with the automobile, both classic and modern. You know, some of the content we have is going to focus more on today's world. And then also, uh, you know, how that interacts with the food scene. And Because if any car guy, you know, spends any time around other car guys, and especially if it comes up towards a meal time, you can bet they don't want to miss that meal. And so many, many car events always include some sort of assistance to have as part of the fellowship with their fellow car folks. I can definitely tell you when we're planning tours for any of our car clubs, the first thing members will ask is where are we going to eat? So the food scene is definitely intertwined in the classic car hobby. And it does key into our selection of potential topics. And there's a lot we want to explore. And like I said, there's just so many, it's hard narrowing it down. And that's one of the nice things about this podcast is the possibilities are endless. So there's a lot of technical things that go into making each of the episodes. And I'm going to have Jim speak to the technical stuff and give a little bit of background on how he produces and makes the podcast. Jim, how about it? Well, you know, first of all, you have to identify the topic. Once you have that, then the first thing is the research, which, you know, that's a shared thing between us. You do an awful lot of research, but I too, that's part of the fun is even though it's laborious and time consuming, I don't know that I'd want to do this podcast without that component because it really is fascinating. And the other thing is prioritizing, you know, we get a lot of information and what makes it to the final cut is, you know, much less than the volume of information we come through save. And, you know, the other thing is we've created a little bit of a library for content because we curate stuff that may end up in a future episode, which we've already seen that happen over the 20 episodes. And then a lot of times, you know, as you're researching, it sparks ideas for future episodes. And so that is really how episodes become realities. The specific technical side of it is... You start with first the thought. Once you have the thought, I usually will ferret out a rough script. And that sort of is our roadmap. If we're going to have it be a narration episode, then I simply put the thoughts on paper. We do our research. We come back. We then look at each area of the episode. We'll develop that specific topic with both content of research and what we're going to talk about. And then also the videos aspect of it and the illustrations for the video side. Sabrina can touch more on that. And then if we're going to have a guest, it's about which technical avenue we're going to use to capture the recording, how we're going to do that, and then making sure that the recording is quality. There's an awful lot of post-production that, you know, we really spend a lot of time making sure that not only our voices, but each guest 
is presented in a way that best represents them. And we really take that to heart. I try very hard in my editing to make them sound as good as I possibly can. And it's challenging, especially now, you know, with COVID, we're doing uh, our interviews by Zoom is predominantly the technical uh, way we capture the audio. And everybody now, I think, is used to Zoom. You know, it is a marvelous program for conferencing, but for the purposes of high quality sound in a podcast, it's a challenge, but it's what's available. And there is a trade-off. You know, a lot of people will say, well, you know, I would never use Zoom. And there's certainly a lot other ways to capture a remote voice, but it also requires technical expertise on the other end. And often the equipment, the technical knowledge just isn't there. And to forego an interview because that's not there isn't exactly what our our priority is our priority is to get good quality content so it's a balancing act and so zoom fulfills that role but it also requires me now to spend a lot more time in post-production so that's the reality of it and then you know once we get the script we get the recording going we have the wraps on both the intros and the outros you know the beginning and ending and then there's some variants from the script usually in these interviews and so I develop talking points for the guests and uh, that helps them just like what we did in this episode. But even with that, you know, we want the podcast to sound like a conversation. And so it does mean that sometimes I need to do a little bit of editing just from a content flow standpoint. So that's also part of it. Do you want to talk about the kind of tools that we're using, our mics and the audio and video and all that sort of stuff? Because I know that's pretty technical. Yeah, sure. You know, this is a low budget show. And so for the basic recording software that we use, a DAW. We're using Audacity, which is an open source recording software, and it's very good. It's certainly not top of the line, but it's very good, and it serves our needs, and it's free and available, and, you know, they take donations, and so we do our best to try to support each of these different sources of software and tools that we use, but Audacity is our primary editing software. We use Zoom of late. We have used Google Voice, and we've used some other ways to record, but Zoom is what we're using, at least for now. And then on the video side, Sabrina, you use Microsoft PowerPoint for your presentations. I do. Yes, I use PowerPoint. And let me tell you, I have learned the ins and out of that software program like you wouldn't believe over the last year. I went from a moderate user to I would border on expert user for that program. And it's amazing what you can cobble together with Paint 3D, Publisher, and PowerPoint. And that's basically what I use. Like I said, I am a moderate user, but they pretty much get the job done as far as what we've done so far and eventually we want to move on to you know higher tech programs and software and stuff but that takes time and a lot of learning so for now that's what I use and then for the website it's built on a content management system WordPress and it's hosted at Bluehost the other you know aspect of this is we have to upload the videos to YouTube we upload them to Facebook and that takes time they're also posted on the website and then they're uploaded to Anchor FM, which then gets redistributed to all the other distributors that we've included in our profile. So some that they partner with and some that we've added to it. So that all goes out pretty quickly, but it does take a long time. It takes between an hour to two hours to post each episode once they're ready to go. 
So we have definitely learned a lot along the way. We started this process and the funny thing is it all started with a microphone purchase for Jim's Christmas present and as soon as he had that in his hands he said let's make a podcast. So that initial investment created a year-long learning process for us and it's been fun, it's been fascinating, and I know some of the things I've learned have to do with the video presentations that we use to accompany the podcasts, and like I had said earlier, learning the intricacies of the software programs to produce these episodes has taken time, but I've definitely gotten more adept at using very rudimentary programs to get done what I need to get done, and I know, Jim, you've learned just so many things things over this last year as far as production and editing and software and tools that the progression from our first episode to this episode has been leaps and bounds. We have definitely made some mistakes along the way, but I think this has been a very productive, very fun year for us. Yeah, you know, I would say that from the very first episode, attempting to edit the sound file that I had and the timing of editing, just cleaning up the different voices and background noises and all the things that goes into sound engineering. You know, I was a novice and I still am a novice, but at least I have a novice with a little bit of experience now. So a lot of that was uh, fly by the seat of the pants and see how it sounded. And, and then all there's lots of technical stuff I could go on for hours on about, you know, the different methods of capturing sound and post-editing and how to handle these files and what file types should you use, WAV versus MP3 versus, you know, the other multitude of options that are available. And a lot of that I just didn't know. And so I had to do a lot of research, a lot of reading, a lot of trial and error. And uh, YouTube was very good, a good resource, as well as just internet research. And, you know, I'm very inquisitive. So that was as much fun learning as doing. And then the other thing is just the basic things, doing a script. At first, I was opposed to doing a script. I was going to freeform the whole thing. And after about my first attempt at a recording, Sabrina said, you need a script. And I said, I guess you're right. And then topic points that came later too for guests and then scheduling of guests you know I didn't realize it would be as hard as it was and you know attempting to manage multiple episodes at the same time to build a calendar it's more challenging than it may sound because you're really dependent on their being available and then if they're not able to do it at the time that we originally pick it could you know affect two or three episodes because of the way our production schedule is so you know that definitely was something in the earlier episodes we struggled with and we're getting better at it. So what's next for us? What's coming up in 2021? Let's take a few minutes to share what our thoughts are going forward for this coming year. We're definitely going to continue the podcast because we're just having so much darn fun with it. We don't want to stop. And we've got enough feedback from people out there that have been listening that have said, we enjoy your podcast. We can't wait for the next episode. So Jim, let's talk about what's coming up for the year. What do we have planned? Well, let me just say that originally I thought I could put one of these out once a week. And then when we added the video component in the early, early stage before we ever posted the first episode, you know, I realized that was a little aggressive. And then on top of that, you know, we do have a hobby and we have life and I'm still a W-2 employee, so I serve at the schedule of others. But I did decide that I wanted to do my best to keep this going. We also started another podcast 
And so that takes up some of our time. So it is very hard to do such an aggressive schedule. So for sure, in 2021, we probably won't be putting out multiple episodes each month. I'm not really sure how aggressive it's going to be. We'll try to do our best to get one posted each month. And if we could get a second one occasionally, that would be great. Content is more important than quantity. So if I have to wait for a guest, then I'm going to wait. And, you know, it may sound cliche, but I will say that it's important important to me that each episode that's posted is something both Sabrina and I can be proud of. And, you know, before they go, we always take the last view and, and listen to before they get posted. And we both give our thumbs up that we sign off. Yep, it's ready. And that's fun. That's when you say, wow, this 12 or 14 hour project that we just completed was worth it. This is good. And if I can't get there, I'm not going to post it. So that's part of it. And then, you know, as far as the topics and the guests, we're going to stick to what we've done over the last year, but we are going to broaden it a little bit. So some of the things we're kind of penciling out include features on a couple episodes at least on part suppliers in the hobby. We want to focus on niche or boutique auto parts suppliers. Specifically, we're hoping to have a guest on that deals with rebuilt carburetors from early Chevrolets and GMs. We have a uh, family business here locally that provides parts for classic cars, a lot of Chevrolet parts. And I say Chevrolet for two reasons. One, we're very active in the club and that's where a lot of our friends and acquaintances and contacts are. But two, it's a dominant marquee throughout the hobby. And And so it definitely is one of the areas we want to focus on. It's not the only one. After we look at those, we're hoping to have a couple of guests come on. For the Model A Ford group, there is a group of folks that have gone to production on an original Model A Ford engine block. I think it's a long block. So we're going to hear about their story and how they acquired the blueprints for that engine and the specs for it. It is going to be created to the original factory specs, and uh, they have the expertise and knowledge to be able to pull this off. They've gone into production, and the response has been phenomenal. So we want to hear their story, and then we're going to look at some more food sides. Hopefully we'll do a show on Carl's Jr. That may be our last fast food chain of the near future, but it is a Southern California-born chain. It is now public, grown way beyond on Carl Karcher's wildest dreams, but we want to tell Carl Karcher's story, its connections here to Southern California, Anaheim in particular, and Los Angeles, and we want to share a little bit about those early years and how Carl grew that business. And so that'll be an interesting story to tell. Hopefully we can do some more car club features, and we want to do some car shows. Hopefully by the end of the year, we'll have the opportunity to maybe do the remotes. Uh, I don't know. If we can't do them this year, we'll do them next year, but we want to try to get some focus to spend a little time with them that organize the events that people love to go out and see. I know I, for one, am excited about the potential that this new year holds. We've got, like Jim said, a lot of things in the works, scheduling interviews and things like that. So we're definitely going to have some pretty good content coming up. Not quite sure when our next episode is going to be as we've got some scheduling issues coming up, but we are definitely looking forward to producing a bunch more podcasts and bringing the car hobby and food scene out to all of our listeners and it's going to be exciting. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and I'd just like to say if anybody listening has an idea for a subject or if you'd like to come on the show because you are some way connected to 
the classic car or automotive enthusiast community here in Southern California, we would love to talk to you. Please don't be shy. If you are a member of a car club and you think we should feature your club or you're going to have an event, a car show or or other event that you think the listeners of this podcast would be interested in, we want to help you tell the story that you know should be heard. So don't be shy. You can certainly contact us via the website. There's a contact form there and you can go to hamburgersandhotrods.com and there you can use the web form and let us know what it is you have in mind for a future episode. And I think that is a good place for us to wrap up for this episode. Let me tell you, this has been very, very enjoyable getting to chat with you and review the year we've had, the episodes we've been able to showcase, looking back on all of the information we've been able to share with car enthusiasts and food enthusiasts throughout our program has been awesome. And I am definitely ready to get some more episodes in the can. What about you, Jim? We've had 14 guests appear on the show since its inception, and I'd like to thank each and every one of them. We wouldn't have made this milestone without each and every one of you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your support. I'd also like to thank each and every viewer, listener, subscriber, follower. We're available on all the major social media platforms. Like what you come in contact with. Please follow us on YouTube. We're really hoping you'll subscribe to the channel. And uh, on Facebook, you know, please watch out for episodes if you are Facebook. We have an Instagram account and a Twitter account. Send us a tweet and uh, watch for our Instagram posts. With that, I'd like to say thanks to everybody. And we look forward to a fantastic 2021. That's it for this episode. We hope you enjoyed your time with us today. You can visit us online at hamburgersandhotrods.com. There, you can check out our show notes, listen to our complete show library, or watch the YouTube video versions of each of our shows. You can also check out all the various podcast platforms where our show can be heard. We can also be found on Facebook, where video versions of each of our shows are also posted. And we're on Twitter and Instagram. So subscribe to our channel, click the notification bell, give us a like, and be sure to follow us on your favorite social media platform to never miss the latest show. Until next time, thanks for listening. We'll see you then.